How's it going, guys? Welcome to another episode of the A10 Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sam Basil, joined alongside Daniel Frank. And Daniel, uh, it looks like by George GMU is reporting some, you know, some some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, they posted a photo about an hour ago before we, we got on this recording. Uh, you never told me that you you, you played basketball. <laughs> You know, I did a, I played a little ball back in my day of what, five years ago. I, you know, played for a small high school in Kentucky, but I was on varsity and I started, you know, I could hold my own a little bit. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, look, if we, if we could, you know, put together some sort of recruiting package for Mason, I mean, not that they really need it right now, because we're going to be talking about, you know, how well they've been doing lately in a 10 play, but, you know, just in case, you know, they have a little, maybe God forbid they have a COVID outbreak or something like that, you know, what could you bring to Kim English's team from your high school days? I mean, I am an undersized white guy, Jewish basketball player, 6'4". I had one career three attempt in my entire life, and I hit it. It was a game we played at Banker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis, home of the Indiana Pacers, and I hit a three in the corner. And that is uh, my greatest achievement in date to life. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> That's some good stuff. I mean, if we, could, if we can get that, if we, if we can find some way to – get a clip of that on maybe max prep or something like that. Like you might, you might have a chance. Your eligibility might be a little messed up right now, but uh, I'm sure we can find a way to make it work. I mean, it's 2022. We could find a way. Yeah. But you know, until then let's talk about, you know, what's actually going on in the Atlantic 10. Uh, so another big week, we're recording this on Thursday and we've had another crazy Wednesday slate. Uh, a lot of big games, some big upsets Fordham breaking their five-game losing streak up with a win over Rhode Island, 61-55 at home. George Washington taking down LaSalle, 89-87. Mason, as we mentioned, you know, a tough double overtime loss to St. Louis, 92-90. And Dayton smoking VCU, 82-52. Daniel, uh, you know, I think there's, there's plenty to take away from probably every single one of these games uh, that happened on Wednesday night. But for you, I mean, what, what do you think stands out the most from this, from this most recent Wednesday slate? I mean, maybe I'm a bit of a homer, but I think you might enjoy this too. In years past, it's been quite common for both GW and Fordham to play each other in you know, their first game of the A-10 tournament. And it has almost always exclusively been, you know, a pillow fight matchup, 11-14, 12-13. If the season ended tonight, Sam, GW and Fordham would play each other in the 8-9 game of the Atlantic 10 tournament, avoiding oh, oh. the pillow fight. You know, the 8-9 game has always, been, has always been a great game, both in the Atlantic 10 tournament and in the NCAA tournament overall. I mean, of course, like the 8-9 game is the perfect middle ground in the NCAA tournament uh, with, with, with the different, you know, different regions but i mean that that'd be pretty that'd be pretty special i mean it, and it, the i know the Center last week was the hell of a game i know it sounds i know it sounds like a little bit like a, a, a little sad but you know you know after as someone who's been a fordham fan for such a long time and for you daniel who's been such a gw fan for a long time um you know i feel like fordham and gw meeting each other on the second day in the tournament rather than the first is a huge step forward for both of these programs. So, you know, Absolutely. I think if anyone is a fan of the A-10 and wants to see a lot of these teams, you know, kind of move up and down, you know, wants to see this league be a fluid conference. I mean, I feel like that's, that's something that we should all be rooting for. I mean, and I think we might be a little biased, but you know, 
I'll, I'll let you decide. I mean, here, so, here at GW slash Fordham talk, you know, we, we are, we support all four teams in the A-10, but really this is GW Fordham talk, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, it really is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's GW Mason Fordham talk and it will be for the foreseeable future. <laughs> Moving on to that third team, Daniel, were you at this game uh, between Mason and St. Louis? I was indeed. I have to tell you, Sam, it has been a long time since I've had that much fun at a college basketball game. I mean, we're talking before COVID easily. Um, I mean, it is that was more a fun, game. more fun than beat a double overtime loss to St. Louis was more fun than beating the Bonnies at home the week before. This, I mean, look, it was a great game. I mean, from an objective standpoint, I mean, obviously, yeah, for Mason, it sucked to lose. But that was, I mean, on that was probably one of the top 10 games I've seen live in my life. And I've seen a probably obscene amount of college basketball games in person. I mean, that was just high-level basketball. I mean, St. Louis came out, had a really strong, I think, defensive game plan, really frustrated Mason defensively, really. I mean, Mason takes a lot of threes and Mason was like three of 10 or something at the half. Like it was, they took Mason out of the rhythm. They did everything right. And then George Mason made a run to start the second half. I mean, give a lot of credit to Slew for weathering that storm, pushed the lead back out to 13. Mason came all the way back over time. Mason had a five point lead. I really, really thought they were going to pull it out there, but I mean, what, I mean, what more do you want from a Wednesday night middle of winter game? Then Josh Oduro knocking down a three, and then Yuri Collins driving the floor and hitting a crazy game winner. That's number two player of the day on Sports Center the next morning. I mean, that was just a phenomenal Atlantic 10 men's basketball game. Yeah, I mean, it really seemed like it was like the clash of the Titans between Collins and Oduro. Let, let, let me just break down these stat lines real quick. Yuri Collins, 35 points, five rebounds, 13 assists. Josh Oduro, 32 points, six rebounds, two assists. I mean, was it was the ball just running through both of these guys the entire night? I mean, for you, for you watching, I mean, who who was there? I mean, was it was it pretty much just a battle between those two guys? I mean, it really was. It, the ironic thing is, they obviously by their positions did not guard each other. It's not like they were going one on one per se. They just both happened to have, I mean, unbelievable nights. I mean, Mason had, I mean, basically all five starters. Well, four of the five stars were in double figures. They got two bench points from Otis Frazier. They got 32 from Oduro. They got 22 from Davon Cooper, 15 from Schwartz, 10, or sorry, 12 from Gaines, and seven from Xavier Johnson. Um, so, I mean, there, there was some other production. And similarly for Slow, you, know, you got 14 each from Akaro Nesbitt. Um, and then some, some pretty nice bench production, all things considered for Slew, especially with the foul trouble that they ended up getting into as they got into overtime and double overtime. But, I mean, really, I mean, you look at these stat lines, I and mean, this is just – Especially, especially for Yuri Collins. I mean, 10 of 10 from the free throw line, 13 assists. I mean, that is unbelievable stuff from, from Yuri Collins. Yeah. And so, you know, I feel like St. Louis has been in kind of a weird, uh, has been in kind of a weird position this year. I mean, obviously with the Javante Perkins injury, they've kind of had to kind of retool themselves and you know, they, they've been all right. Uh, you know, looking at their record right now, six and two in conference play third, third seed in the conference. Um, is this where we is, if, if you're a St. Louis fan, is this where you want to see the team right now? Or do you think that, you know, there's something they could be doing to kind of take that next step? I mean, I think St. Louis is 
goal at this point is probably still to win the Atlantic 10 tournament. I mean, I, I, I think, I mean, you can go back and forth on this, Sam. You can tell me what you think, but I think the odds of Slew getting an at-large bid are probably a bit of a reach at this point. But I mean, look, if St. Louis, instead of that four-point loss to Auburn, they pull that win out, we're having a very different conversation about the Billikens right now, even if every other game on the schedule remains the same. I mean, Auburn's the number one team in the country right now, and SLU had that game won. If they could have just closed that out, we're having a very different conversation about these Billikens. I mean, at the end of the day, Travis Ford is doing a pretty darn good job given the roster constraints he's had, the COVID issues they've had two years in a row now. I mean, I really can't fault St. Louis for a whole lot. They're they're doing really a darn good job with what they have. Yeah, I mean, if I could, if I could, you know, knock St. Louis for one thing. I mean, you're you're totally right with that with that Auburn with that that Auburn loss that very 74-70 way back uh, in non-conference play. One thing about St. Louis, I think, I, I, honestly, I think it's it's both both in the fact that Travis Ford is is great at scheduling his team. He's good at getting getting his team good opponents. But I think something that really helps St. Louis is that. Uh, honestly where they are in the country uh you know right now i think i think with the way that you know the different conferences are aligned kind of with the power five uh st louis is kind of in that excellent position like in the middle of the country where they can get possibly big 12 schools they can get you know top tier schools in the american and in the sec i mean i feel like lately on twitter I've noticed that uh, St. Louis fans and Mizzou fans have really kind of been going at it. Uh, I feel like, I feel like St. Louis fans are just in terms of basketball specifically uh, because St. Louis obviously doesn't have football. uh, They're really jockeying for their team to kind of be the number one team that people root for in St. Louis, uh, in, in the state of Missouri, uh, honestly, which, you know, I have to admit, you know, as as obviously I'm an A-10 guy, I love watching the A-10 I think they're a long ways away from possibly overtaking Missouri uh, in terms of, in terms of overall fanship, but I I think it's a fun case for them to make Uh, in terms of their non-conference schedule. If they won that game against Auburn, we'd be having a very different talk about St. Louis right now, obviously. But one thing right now, even though they have that very close loss to the number one team in the country, I do think that loss to Memphis uh, is just continuing to get worse and worse for them. Uh, You know, 90-74 way back in the season. uh, Memphis was 11th in the country at that time. But, I mean, I feel feel like if any of you, anyone here who's kind of familiar with the program right now this year, they've had some very strange troubles, you know, I feel like within their locker room. They're back to 11-8. and They're 5-4 in American play. So... I just think that's going to be be the big thing that hurts them. But for George Mason, I mean, moving forward, I mean, what can what can what can Kim English take away in terms of a positive from this very close loss to kind of move forward in the rest of the season? I, I think there's genuinely no question after last night that George Mason has to be taken seriously this year in the Atlantic 10. Um, I mean, they I was honestly, they were down 13 in the second half. I thought they'd already made the run and they were kind of I was content to admit that maybe Mason wasn't there yet. And then they made the run. I mean, at the end of the day, exhaustion took over. They missed those four free throws in the second overtime. That really hurt them. Um, but I mean, George Mason, six and two, or sorry, four and two. They're in fourth place, technically tied in win percentage with VCU. 
they got some they got an important week coming up too. I mean, they've got LaSalle on Saturday. Darn well better be a win on the road at LaSalle, but still better be a win. They got two against Richmond next week. Monday they're at the Robin Center, and then Wednesday night they come back to Fairfax um, for a back-to-back essentially with, with Richmond. And then they get VCU on uh, Saturday, which is homecoming for Mason, which folks not familiar with, with George Mason, how we do things. We don't have football, so we don't do homecoming, you know, for football season. We do it in basketball season, and it's kind of a big deal, Mason. I mean, it's, it's, they make a big deal about it on campus, um, and it's a game that means a lot to folks, it's, especially because it's VCU this year. You know, there's always a great tailgate. There's always a great crowd that's at the game. I mean, George Mason can reasonably expect – to be what six and three, I think at worst case scenario, heading into that VCU game. You know, I, I figure they beat LaSalle, but they probably split with Richmond. I think is probably realistic. Um, you know, they probably each team wins at home. George Mason moving forward just needs to, to win the games they're supposed to win. Um, and I think they can honestly really contend for a top four seed, which I would never have believed this team could have been capable of in, in year one with Kim English. I mean, you know, maybe they just miss out on it. I think that's quite possible. They end up in fifth, maybe sixth, but they do have that nice tiebreaker over the Bonnies. But I think George Mason has a lot of excitement right now. And for good reason. Is there possibly, you know, I mean, obviously with George Mason right now, I think they're in a position where they want, they, they, they have to set winning the A-10 as a, as a legitimate goal for them this season. But again, this is a very congested A-10 at the top. Uh, should that not happen? I mean, should they, you know, make the semifinals of the A-10 tournament, maybe maybe lose in the championship game? Is the NIT a realistic goal for George Mason this year? Is that something that you should, if you're a Mason fan, should be looking forward to? Or should you be aspiring for more? It's tough to say. I mean, Mason's overall record is not the sexiest. I mean, I think they're 11 and nine, if I'm not mistaken, Um, 11 and eight. Okay. Um, You know, I I think if Mason wins more than they lose down the stretch, they'll put themselves in position. If they finish top four in the Atlantic 10, I think they give themselves a legitimate case here. And I know there's a lot of, you know, discussion every single year about the NIT, the CBI, the value of these secondary constellation tournaments, whatever you want to call them. Um, From a GW fan perspective, watching GW go through that run in 2016 to win the NIT was really a special experience. I mean, it it sounds hokey to say, but I remember having very vividly that discussion with my father at the time. What would I rather have, winning the NIT at Madison Square Garden or a first-round NCAA tournament exit? You know, lose your first game in the NCAA tournament. And obviously – you probably would still at the end of the day, most of us, I think, would take the NCAA tournament loss. But, I mean, look, the NIT is a, is a great tournament with a lot of history, and it means something. So it means something on a national level. You get your games on real ESPN television. You know, it, it's especially for a team like Mason in their position where they're up and coming. Yes, obviously you don't want to be in the NIT if you're a team like Davidson this year, for example. That, that would be a failure for them to be in the NIT. But for a team like George Mason, that is really, you know, starting from scratch, essentially, with what Dave Paulson had left with, with Mason to, to be able to come in and even have this conversation, I think, is a tremendous thing for them. And moving forward, it's only going to help them. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, it, it really depends on, like, who you are, uh, like, and how you're looking at this approach. 
Like if you're a casual college basketball fan, I think, and you know, I'm not trying to be like, oh, like real college basketball, real <laughs> college basketball. Cause like, who cares about that? Like watch college basketball, however you want to watch college basketball. But like, if you're, if you're just someone who, you know, who just loves March madness or et cetera, et cetera, like you're going to, you're going to want Mason to be in the tournament. Like if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, a kid who goes to Mason and, you know, maybe goes to like every other home game, like you're going to want to see them in the tournament. But I think the advantage of being, and you know, there is the, there is the exposure, right? Uh, the, the, the NCAA tournament, you know, whether even if you get like blown out in the first round as like a 16 seed, like you're going to get, you're going to get recognition, even if you can, you can play a fun competitive game. But I think when you, when you look at a school like George Washington, which, you know, I will say they kind of fumbled the bag on a little bit after their NIT win. Like when to you, win, when you win something least. like the NIT or you win something like the CBI, you know, I think everyone that's 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 watching that tournament, whether it, whether it's like someone who makes bracketology at ESPN or like a certain scout or you know athletic directors, the biggest question after an NIT win is what's next, and that's such a great thing to build on, especially when you're someone like Kim English and you're and you're trying to build a program. It's like we we've we've made a step, and now like we have a a very very concrete and a very very good baseline to build on and improve this program right now. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're a Mason fan and you're now thinking about, Oh, maybe we do, we could make the NIT. This is a bit uh, dated. It's, it's from January 31st, but this website that I really like that does uh, bracketology for both the NCAA tournament and the NIT, which I, I don't think enough publications really do. I think more publications should do some sort of uh, NIT bracketology, but that's just my two cents. They've currently got one, two, three, Five teams from the A-10 making the NIT this year. Uh, depending on, you know, how Tuesday and Wednesday's game shook out, I think I think there might be some changes. But right now they've got the Bonnies, St. Louis, VCU, Dayton, and Richmond all making the NIT this year. So I think after this after this week, if Mason can get another, another solid win, I think they might be in that conversation. I think they might slide past like a Richmond or the Bonnies. Well, let me flip the script on you for a second, Sam. For Fordham this year, first year with Kyle Neptune, Fordham's probably not an NIT team, but what would your thoughts be on Fordham in the CBI? I mean, because, and, and Great. the same thing with Mason, like, you know, like Mason has had their own internal discussions with the CBI in the past, and that is all, you know, background noise at this point. But for a school like Fordham, We've been in the basement basically my entire life into finally I mean your ninth place in the A10, you're only trending upwards. I mean, you know, what would a CBI mean CBI bid mean for Fordham this year? Uh I think it would mean a lot. Uh, you know, of course it means a little bit less than the NIT. I think I think no matter what, and I, I, I this is like a hill I will die on. Like the NIT is a very prestigious tournament. I know that like it's, it's hard to say like, okay, well, if I can't be one of the top 68 teams in the country, then like, do I really deserve a shot? But the NIT, no matter what, I think will always have like standing in, you know, the world of college basketball as, you know, a very prestigious competition to play in. The thing about the CBI and, the, and, and other competitions like that, like the CIT, which Fordham was last in on the men's side in uh, 2016, in the first year under Jeff Neubauer, um, you're not you're not playing in those tournaments to like really get like a lot of recognition and 
make a name for yourself in your program. Those tournaments, the advantage of those tournaments is you're still getting to play games. And I know like there is some conversation, especially in the world of college football about like, you know, with, with, with players and, 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 and especially when we're talking about like something like compensation, like it's like, is it really necessary for us to keep putting these players in these meaningless tournaments and games? And I, I think, I think there's a lot of, you know, credence to that argument, but, you know, in, in just terms of in, for Fordham, I think it would be a great thing for Fordham to be in the CBI just because it gets those guys, you know, in the mindset of being like, okay, like a 10 tournament is over onto the next thing, onto the next game, onto the next opponent. And you're playing against a school who you're probably not familiar with. They're probably from some random spot in the country. So it, it, it really gives you, it's, it's, it's better for the players than it is for the, uh, you know, exposure for the school. So if we're to make something like the CBI this year or the CIT, I think that would be, you know, an amazing step forward for this program. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you got, you got to take what you can get. You know what I mean? So for sure. Uh, moving on, uh, if I can continue talking about Fordham for a second, uh, you know, I think this win over URI on Wednesday night is possibly the best thing we could have seen and possibly the best way that Fordham could have broken this five-game uh, losing streak. Maybe not in the way that they almost blew uh, like an 18-point lead late in, the, late in the second half, but you know what? You'll take what you can get. A win is a win. Um, but yeah, so, you know, first game back in Rose Hill gym with, uh, you know, full fans, not, not full fans, but you know, the, the full student section was great. I, I really do think it helped Fordham. You know, it's really hard for me to say, like, you know, when talking about things like playing in bubbles or not, like I'm, I'm still kind of skeptical on how much, you know, fans have an influence on the outcome of certain games, but I really do think in this game against Rhode Island, you know, there was, there was some impact there. You know what I mean? And you can see it in how the, how Fordham played. I mean, they played at such a fast pace. It looked like they were, you know, maybe at some points to their detriment, they were kind of getting a little too flashy at some points. I mean, I saw maybe like three or four like botched alley oops, but you know what? Like when you're playing in front of fans, you want to do something to get the fans excited and you get excited yourself. So that's just going to happen. Uh, I mean, you look at Chuba Ohans, you know, 10 points, 10 rebounds in the first half. Every time he had a big play, he let the fans know. He let everyone on that court know. He was playing with so much energy and emotion, and it was just it was just awesome to see. In terms of what I liked about Ford, actually, you know, in terms of playing, I think they've they've really found a way to combine what they – what they learned about themselves and coach Neptune said this, said this himself in the post game too. Like it's a really great combination of like what they learned in Chuba's absence when he was out for those three games due to a knee injury and a combination of, you know, what makes them such a great team when he's on the court. So, you know, in those three games in that like kind of like five game losing streak that Fordham had since the departure of Antonio day and with Chuba's injury, Fordham lost a lot of size, you know what I mean? So they, they resorted to a lot of, you know, heavy guard play, shooting a lot more three-pointers, and it really worked for them. And something that I was kind of worried about with Chuba coming back in is Chuba's a very versatile player, 
but um, sometimes when the ball runs through him, uh, it might limit Fordham, you know, offensively. I mean, because Chuba is the best player on the court, hands down. But Coach Neptune put Chuba and Abdu Simbila on the on the court together, both two starting forwards for probably like only the second or third time he's done this season. And with with Simbila at the five and Chuba at kind of a stretch four, it really opened up the court for the Rams. And with Chuba's absence, you know, then we got guys like Pat Kelly and Rostislav Novitsky who have gotten a lot more playing time. And now when Chuba and Simbila were both on the bench, they came out as a second kind of big man unit. And the stride, the, 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 the stride that we've seen from those two players right now has been excellent. So, you know, right now, I think right with Fordham, we've got a very deep team and they're playing, you know, really good inspired diverse basketball, which we saw against URI. So, I mean, they still got a long way to go in their development, but I don't know. I, they look good. Like they look good against URI. And that's, that's all I got to say. Um, against St. Joe's, I mean, we'll have to see. We'll have to see again how they match up against guys like Taylor Funk. I mean, you know, if Darius Quisenberry can, you know, have a great game, I, I, I think we're, we're, we're poised for a pretty good weekend in A-10 hoops. Speaking of, Daniel, what, you know, we've got Friday 10, which I believe is Richmond and St. Bonaventure in, at the Robin Center in Richmond. So that's going to be a great game. But, you know, then on Saturday, we've got a full and almost full slate of six men's games from, you know, right from 1 p.m., starting with Fordham and St. Joe's tipping off, all the way down to 4 p.m. with Duquesne tipping off against VCU at the Siegel Center. So, Daniel, what game are you looking forward to the most on Saturday? Yeah, it's interesting. We've got an interesting kind of slate of games here. I think probably the, the sexiest matchup of, of them all is St. Louis Dayton. I think that's, that's probably... I think you'd agree with me on that one um, in terms of, I mean, that's, that's essentially a battle for second place in the A-10. Dayton seven and two, slew is six and two. Um, that'll be a fun one. Arch Baron Cup's always a great time. We'll see, you know, if the result is different from what it was when they met previously in the season. Um, I'm very curious, truthfully, how Rhode Island's going to respond with UMass. Rhode Island's in not a great place right now. I don't think anyone would disagree with me on that. They're three and five in the A-10 had some you know not great losses in her now we can talk about how good Fordham is how good GW may or may not be but if you're Rhode Island the expectation is you beat GW and Fordham no matter how good or bad they are that's just what Rhode Island has established over the last several years um I'm very curious you know to see how what Rhode Island's response is to that game the other one I'm going to just throw out here purely because I'm going to be at it but I think it has the potential to be an interesting matchup is GW Davidson um, at the Smith Center. I, I don't seriously think in my heart of hearts, GW is going to beat Davidson. I'm not, I'm not naive. However, um, I think it'd be an interesting matchup, I think, for, for Davidson from, a, from just a player perspective. I think, you know, GW's got Ricky Lindo finally back healthy. He had a terrible game, you know, last Sunday against Fordham, but he – you know, they got him healthy again. And I think GW's got enough weapons that they may be able to make it interesting, I think, for maybe 20, 25, 30 minutes. I think, obviously, Davidson's going to win by 10 going away. But it could be an interesting game that I think could turn some heads if it's close in the second half. Can I uh, can I say a very embarrassing uh, thing about myself? That Please. I, so 
this weekend, you know, is is the the latest iteration, like you said, of the Arch Baron Cup between between Dayton and St. Louis. And I've been watching, you know, A10 basketball for probably like six years now. Like ever since I joined Fordham, I've ever since not joined Fordham, I didn't, I didn't join the team. Uh, but you know, ever since I in, <laughs> I became a student at Fordham, and you know, now you know, two years post graduation, I've I've watched A10 basketball. I just learned like a month and a half ago, like after, you know, really like taking a good look at the website that the Arch Baron Cup is not like an officially (laughs) sanctioned trophy between the two schools. And it's just like a meme championship that that like the fans have made up. And I felt I was this is the first time I've, I've, I've publicly stated it. And, you know, it's amazing. I felt like such an idiot. You know, H- Twitter was, has infiltrated our brains. I thought it was something really cool, you know, like, I mean, it is cool, but like, you know, I thought it was something that the schools actually did, like, like in college football, like they Paul need to Bunyan's do it. They got to do it. Or like Abe Lincoln's hat. You know what I mean? And, and, and I've been on the website like multiple times and, and I've always looked at those photos of like players with the cup over the years. I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. You know what I mean? And then I, and then I took a good look at a picture that looked like it was from like the seventies or eighties, and I'm like, that that looks photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I don't know. I I maybe maybe I just felt like I, it was it was a it was a good mix of emotions. Honestly, it, it was I was a little heartbroken. I was a little you know, uh, but mostly I just felt like I had like you know just a whole lot of egg on my face. That is great content. You know, (laughs) but again, it's a great rivalry. And I think it's something that the fans are as passionate about as if there was an actual trophy. And if there was, you know, some sort of officially sanctioned thing. So maybe we should just get it going. I mean, I've always been a fan of like, (laughs) this sounds strange, but I've always been a fan of like wanting to like win the most minuscule, like having the most minuscule titles as possible because i think it's so fun i think it's something that like makes us invested in every single game we can so you know if anyone from uh dayton or st louis is hearing this like maybe just like spend a couple bucks to go down to the trophy store down the street and like get an actual arch baron cup made or maybe we can do like some sort of fundraiser for a10 fan from a10 fans to get something going but until then i guess i just i just look like an idiot but uh, moving on, you know, That's good on, stuff. That's on good the stuff. women's side of things, I think we've also got a pretty great weekend slate. So Daniel, can you kind of give your picks for some of the games that you'll be watching on the women's side this weekend? Yeah, absolutely. We've got, we've got three games or three days of games, I should say um, coming up here. We've got two games on Friday. Both of those are rescheduled from earlier in the season. We've got Davidson, St. Joe's LaSalle and VCU. Um, that's a, the latter of which is, is rather important for the standings. Uh, the women, for those who don't know, have the same tournament format as the men. So top four, bottom four, et cetera, um, with the buy system and all that jazz. So LaSalle, we've got a, a basically the standing is a mess, is a mess. Um, Fordham is six and two, LaSalle is five and three, UMass and VCU are four and three. And then Richmond and Duquesne are four and five. And then it just goes down. And so basically like half the conference is within like two games of each other. It's, it's entertaining stuff right now. So, I mean, we're kind of, cause the women finished a week ahead of the men. 
So the women finish the end of the month. So we're kind of getting to that point in the season where these games really matter. And, and we're talking about, you know, where your position's in the standings, you know, more and more. Um, so, so from that perspective, I think LaSalle VCU is going to have a lot of weight that it's going to carry. Um, similarly, Duquesne and, and, and Fordham for, for similar reasons. Um, and then you've got LaSalle, Rhode Island on Sunday has sneaky potentials as well. I mean, Rhode Island is still undefeated in the conference. LaSalle has shown some really nice ability to, to win some games this season. Um, and I, I really think, you know, that LaSalle has some good pieces to really, you know, make some noise. And they're, they're kind of the Cinderella of the year so far. Um, other game I'm keeping an eye on purely because it's just absolutely chaotic. So George Mason, after not winning an Atlantic 10 conference game in over two years, then after not winning back-to-back conference games in four years, has now wins in a row over George Washington, which say what you will, they're, they're winless still. They went on the road and won at Davidson, which wow. is a good win. And then now they get to go play at Dayton on, on Saturday. Now, granted, George Mason's probably not going to win against Dayton. However, George Mason's win against Florida keeps getting weirder and weirder. The night Sam and I are recording this, Florida beat Tennessee, the number seven team in the country. This is Florida's fifth ranked win of the year, if I'm not mistaken. And the fact that George Mason beat this team just gets weirder and weirder and weirder. And George Mason, now that they've got some wins under their belt, is looking like a different team. And heck, at this point, bring the chaos. I mean, I'm on the hype train for this team. I've been dying for a year and a half to have any A-10 win. Now I've got two and I'm mad on power. It's all Mason, baby. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, so... Right now we've got just, you know, three, three games of separation in, in record from, from LaSalle who's in fourth place to Mason who is in six. So, I mean, not just, yeah, not just a pillow fight, but I mean, (laughs) not just a pillow fight looking crazy, but I mean, is, is, is the entire middle of the table pretty much up for grabs all, is it going to be up for grabs all the way into the, into the women's tournament? I mean, pretty. I mean, basically, Dayton and Rhode Island have separated themselves from the pack. They're they're eight. Dayton's eight and zero. Rhode seven and zero. Bottom of the league is, as much as it hurts my heart to say, is GW pretty far and away. They're zero and seven, and then Fordham is six and two at in third place. Mason is two and six and thirteenth, and then everyone else is just a mess. I mean, you got six and two, five and three, a bunch of four and threes, four and fives, three and fives, two and four, three and six. Two and five, two. I mean, all the way up and down, everyone, that is what? Quick math here. 12, 11 teams within, you know, three, four games of each other with, you know, still a month left in the season. That's a heck of a competitive league that the Atlanta has got right now on the women's side. As a speaking of those top two, I mean, Dayton and Rhode Island play on February 16th. So, I mean, someone is going, someone is going to come away with a loss. I mean, that's just how basketball works you know there's no ties in basketball but because we're a real sport yeah well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> take that football i think okay i i've said this i actually said this on lux's litter box i don't want i don't want, i don't want to go too much off, off, off on a tangent here but i said this on on lux's litter box which is a great friend of a10 talk um i think college football should bring back the tie 
you know, the, with the way That's that a hot take. FBS football works, and I, I've said it on like several publications i've written it on I, I first said it on one of the blogs that i write for and that's and that's when they brought it up to me on lux's litter box but you know if you want to hear about that you know just hit me up on twitter anytime and i'll i'll be happy to kind of gush about that but you know up until that game uh, on february 16th is there anybody that could take down dayton or uri and you know if 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 they both go into that game undefeated someone one person is going to come out of that game still undefeated. Is there a chance that one of these two schools could, you know, win out until the conference tournament? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm looking ahead at the, the schedule. The, the first thing that jumps out at me, and this is obviously assuming that Dayton gets past Rhode Island. Saturday, February 19th, Fordham hosts Dayton. Um, Fordham is, is a team that honestly – could well also be in this conversation. They're obviously got the two losses, which kind of puts them down a bit, but form is still very much in the conversation for an at-large bid. I mean, we were talking about this earlier in the week. There are still four A-10 teams in the bubble picture right now. I mean, Dayton and Rhodey um, have the best case, and then Fordham and UMass, even despite UMass's three losses in conference play, still in the picture. Um, so so that Fordham-Dayton game has the potential, I think, to – to be interesting. Um, and similarly, I think, um, I don't know. I, I just, I don't think we're going to get an undefeated. I mean, Rhodey and Dayton actually play twice, if I'm not mistaken. I think they play what? Um, they play at Rhodey on the 16th, and then they play at Dayton on the 26th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, honestly, we could easily have both of them lose one of those two games and just split the two. Um, this, this league just feels way too competitive. And I really, I mean, I think there's some pretty clear separation between Dayton, Rhodey, Fordham, UMass, and then the rest. I think LaSalle is, is probably, even though they're in fourth in the standings, is probably the fifth best team in the A-10 right now. That being said, it just feels very similar to like how the men are like, yeah, Davidson had that nice win streak. They were what, like seven and zero, I think before they finally lost a game. I can't. And I get that vibe that just Dayton and Rhodey, while they're so good, just given how competitive this league is this year, I really feel like I don't think anyone's going to get out of this league unscathed right now. Yeah. And, you know, finally, you know, before we close out, like, I think, I don't know, this is kind of one of those questions that, that gets thrown around in, in, especially in college basketball circles that I, I flip flop, you know, on whether or not I actually think it's like, it's relevant or like if it really even matters, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I just want to know your, your two cents. Do you want, when you, when you're, when you're a team like Dayton or you're a team like Rhodey and you've got such a hot streak going, do you want to stay undefeated or before you get into that next moment, before you get into that big stage where, you know, one loss does mean you're going home. Do you think it's better to kind of, be humbled before you get to that point or do you think it doesn't matter just win every game that you can as a fan i want to win every game i can absolutely as someone who's watched college basketball for 22 years of my life i i genuinely do feel like there is a benefit sometimes i'll put the asterisk on and say sometimes to losing a game in conference play, especially if it's in conference, it's not really going to hurt you as much, I think. And I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I think even as dominant as the 2020 Dayton Flyers were, I'm not 
in my heart of hearts convinced they would have won the A10 tournament that year. Wow. They probably would have, but I, I don't think it's as a foregone conclusion. Just knowing how bizarre the A10 tournament always can and often does turn out to be, I, I think the door was open because of the fact they hadn't lost a game and maybe they were finally due. I think they, they were prone to putting up some weird performances like they did in that Colorado game. And look, this does not to take anything away from the 2020 Dayton Flyers. You had enough taken away from you, enough said. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's All that said, though, I think especially a team like Dayton Rody, where like right now they're, they're, they're not the 2020 men Dayton Flyers, right? I mean, they're, they're both exceedingly good basketball teams, both deserving of being in the NCAA tournament easily, in my opinion. I think in a position like that, you can get a little high on yourself, and I think there can be a value to, to being humbled, like you mentioned. I, I really think it can help. Now, that said, you obviously never want to approach a game <laughs> thinking, hey, this would be a fun game to lose, you know, help us. Um, but I, I mean, look, even a team like George Mason, for example, right, for the men, talked about, you know, the St. Louis game a lot tonight. That's not a game that that kills. Like, I was talking about this a lot with some friends. Like, I, I did not feel bad after that George Mason loss. There's a lot of losses I've left recently and just felt like, ah, oh, damn it, like frustrated. That was not one of the, I, I, I think this is a, a nuance of sport that kind of just gets overlooked at times that you can off. And, and Vanessa Blair Lewis, the George Mason women's basketball head coach, quoted Michael Vick to her team and said, you know, winning is great, but losing is better for you sometimes because you can learn so much more from a loss than you ever can from a win, depending on your circumstances. So that's a very long answer to your question, Sam, but that's my two cents. No, I think that's great. I mean, it's the fans take, it's the analysts take. And, you know, it's, it is what it is. I mean, it's probably one of those questions in sports that it's going gonna, it's gonna to be asked forever because there's always going to be someone in college basketball on the cusp of a perfect season. I mean, we see it every couple of years, and we're going to ask it every single time. So, you know, with that and, you know, everything else we've talked about on this podcast, you know, we've given you guys a lot to kind of ruminate on for this week, you know? Is it better to take a loss sometimes? Uh, you know, is Fordham the real deal? The answer is always yes. Should Daniel walk on to George Mason? Maybe. So, you know, take take your time. Think about it. Follow us on Twitter at A10Talk. Check out A10Talk.com for all the latest updates on your favorite 14 teams in the country. And until then, we'll see you next time, guys. 